there's too many people. But you know him. Can't you get us any closer? I don't want to interrupt the teacher by causing a scene. What if you were me? Wouldn't you want your friends to make a scene? Who was you once? What about the roof? Nighttime, Zebedee wouldn't light his lamp and put it under a basket, put it on the stand where it could light us all. Jesus of Nazareth! I saw what you did to the leper on the road this morning. My friend has been paralyzed since childhood. He has no hope but you. Please, do for him what you did for the leper. That's a rope! Put it back, man! If you are willing, Rabbi, I know you can do this. your tablet at least. Harry! Is he in danger? I don't know. No, I don't think so. He's got room in there? Yes. Can you believe we're really here for this? Yes. Down. Whose authority do you teach? Answer me. If you are willing, Rabbi, you know you can. Hey, I'm talking to you. By whom do you teach? Certainly not the authority of any rabbi from Nazareth. Where did you study? Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right. But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven 
or rise up and walk. It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you, and so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, my son, rise. Pick up your bed. Absolutely amazing. You know, when we look at something like that, as it's also presented to us out of the gospel, we would normally say that was, that's an incredible story. You know, we would use the word story, and I, and story's really popular today, talk about narratives of life and all, and I would normally read that in the scriptures and say, that's a pretty cool story. It's like, you really got to get that story. But I've come to learn that some, sto some stories are not stories. They're demonstrations. They're, they're not just um, the recording of a historical event. Um, they are product demonstrations. It's like if you wanted to, to, uh, some, to purchase something, you would look to see how it operates, and somebody would take it, and they would break it out in front of you and, and show you it, and then they would be like, 
like kind of like, hey, what do you think? I mean, dealerships don't let you just hop in their cars and drive around town in them so that you can have a good story. But rather, they will let you drive their car because it's a demonstration of something. And demonstrations are different than in story because you demonstrate something with the intent of buy-in. That's, that's what's going on in this story. This is, this is a story about buy-in, and, and it's really not even a story about healing. It's a story about the power of the Son of Man to forgive sins. And so, which is the ultimate healing of all humanity and all that's wrong with you and I. So this, this isn't just a story. So I want you, as you think about what we've seen as we hear it in the scriptures, that I'm not just reading you a story so that you can go away. It wasn't penned for you to just be like, wow, that's really nice. I really like the Jonah and the whale fish story, and I like this. No, this is a demonstration. And the, really, the challenge is going to be, are you going to buy in now? Are, are, will you buy in to what's happening? I mean, over the last six weeks, we've seen a lot of amazing scenes from the scriptures and from the Chosen series. And I tell you, I've been teary-eyed through all of them and grateful for the love of God. I mean, it's just been so refreshing. And I, I know some of you have experienced that as well. It's like, really, he, he loves us like that. You know, it's been absolutely incredible. We, to learn that he knows you by name, that we're not just a, a clump of humanity, that he knows our doubts and our fears. He knows every shadow that you and I sit under. He knows the disappointments. He knows the, how many marriages we've been through. He knows our addictions, the broken promises that we've had, the victimizations that we've encountered. He knows the shadows that we sit under, and he knows us. He knows us. We, we, we've learned that he not only knows us, but he wants to cause a rebirth to happen in us. He doesn't want to leave us just as we are. He wants the kingdom of God to come. He wants us to become new creations. He's taken us out of the margins of the story and brought us into the body of the story. All the things that have marginalized us, the people that have marginalized us, that Jesus invites us into his story for humanity. And then I think the culmination of it all is that we've learned that God calls us sons and daughters. We're, we're, we're not just a collection of amino acids. We're not just you know, um, searching, uh, people searching for common ancestry among uh, other uh, hominids and trying to find some purpose there. And Because I don't know the answers to all those questions. But in God's mind, that he sees each and every one of us as sons and daughters. That's, that's so incredible. Um, but I think God wants to do more with us. And I think the demonstration of the paralytic man, not the story, but the demonstration has elements of response in it. It has elements of buy-in in it. The story only goes forward as the buy-in goes forward, as the responses begin to happen. Because God wants more than just for us to have this teary-eyed, I am loved experience. We we are not loved to be loved. We are loved to live. And it would be very easy for us to just kind of like 
I'm loved and that's what it's all about. It's like, no, we are loved to live. And so in this story, we, we see buy-in happen. Um, and then after it's all said and done with, we see a broken man walk out in a different way than he came into the room. And that's what God wants to do today. That God wants us to be able to walk out of here different than the way that we walked in. He wants us to experience change in our lives today. And I don't, I don't know what dimension or what level that is supposed to happen on for every one of us today, but I hold no level um, beyond faith. I mean, so it could happen on any level for our lives. Uh, he walks out on a new path. So I want to read it to you again, and I'm going to be pulling out of, I've kind of combined the account in Mark 2 and Luke 5. I have not subtracted anything. I've only added elements from Luke that were not in Mark to kind of give you a more robust picture of what takes place. Because I, I, I want you to see that there's a, these aren't just people carrying a hurting person to Jesus. There's so much going on inside of, inside of them. Let me read it to you. Many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. They came, bringing a paralytic, carried on a bed by four men, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of Jesus. Being unable to get him, uh, to get to him because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Now, I see two things that are operating here that, are, that I think God wants to ask us about, challenge us about today. And there are these two things that kind of, the more they're like DNA, they, they're kind of like the double helix. that they, they seem to go together all the time in our human experience. And that's vision and obstacles. You know, vision and obstacles, that seem to, they seem to parallel each other. And in this story, it's, it's loaded with these people moving forward, this man on this bed moving forward with vision and encountering obstacles at the same time. I made a list of what, what I thought was there and how, how it played out. Let's take a look at a couple of them. They brought him. There's vision, and that's an obstacle. I mean, first of all, uh, they had vision that they thought, well, if we bring him, some outcome is going to occur. So they had that in their heads, in their hearts. They had this, this picture in their mind of what Jesus could do if they encountered more of Jesus. But they also had to have an obstacle. I mean, think about what it took for some of you to get here today. Some of you, I've seen uh, people here are grimacing in pain, People that, uh, some of you argued before you got here. Um, some of you only got here because your wife insisted that you come. Um, or you, the journey was difficult. I mean, I, my journey wasn't really difficult, but I, I, I literally had like three different outfits on today, okay? Not because I'm such a prima donna, and I'm not even sure I ended up right. I just, just so angry, I was just kind of like, screw it, I'm just gonna go. Um, but I had all these, but, Every one of us, if you're going to go someplace, there's not only the vision of what you want to have happen there, but you have to overcome the obstacles. So they had to do that. The four of them had to get together and 
carry this man with his approval. And they attempted to set him down in front of Jesus. So they had a vision. We're getting in front of Jesus. That's, that's what we're doing here. Okay? And, and, and so you may be here today, and you're here with no vision. You just came to church. That's what you do. Does church have any vision for you? Do you does knowing God have any vision for you? Right? Will you really, I'm serious. Sometimes we kind of come to church just hoping something pops out. Some, that God will, like, do something, you know? We, we don't really come with any expectation, but they, they attempted to set him down in front of Jesus. But they were hindered by the crowd. That's an obstacle. They were hindered by the lack of room. See, now this is the only place in the chosen where I found some discrepancy in the biblical story and what the video showed you. Uh, in the video, it showed that he was let down into a room, and the room wasn't crowded. Now, the room was crowded also, according to the biblical account. So it wasn't just outside. Inside, there was no room in that room. In that house, there was no room at all. Also, another part of the story that's not right biblically in this movie, but I get why they did it, was that roof was, didn't already have a hole in it, Okay. It wasn't just like, you know, they, but they needed to do that so you could see Jesus looking at the woman, the woman looking at Jesus, and, and this kind of dialogue to go on. But there's a, there's a full-thatch, tiled roof in place. So they had to adjust. They had to adjust. Now think about adjustments. How hard it is to make an adjustment. You can't make an adjustment if you don't have vision in your life. What are you going to adjust to? I mean, if you don't know where you're heading, you can't adjust the course of your life. You know, I mean, if, if you want a better marriage, but you don't know what a better marriage looks like, it's hard to say, well, you just need to have a better marriage. You've got to have some sort of vision in your mind of what a better marriage looks like. But then you've got to make adjustments. And sometimes adjustments are difficult. They had to innovate. It's like they didn't wake up in the morning and say, I mean, they did wake up in the morning and say, we're going to go to Jesus and we're going to present him for you, him to transform your life. But they didn't wake up in the morning and it's like, dude, let's go tear up Peter's house. Let's rip, a, let, let's rip off his roof, man. You know, they, they didn't, this isn't a Bill and Ted adventure. This is, I mean, they're, they're, they have to innovate in the moment and decide, okay, we've got to get there. See, in and you don't do that if you don't have vision. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Most of the time, this is where most people's lives just go poof. No innovation. Just let it go. It is what it is. They had to persevere. That's vision and uh, uh, obstruction. Perseverance means there's resistance built in. They had to climb and lift. That's vision and obstruction. They had to become invasive. This is really interesting. It's kind of like they had to insert themselves into something. How many of us stop? We don't go any further because, dude, don't want to bother anybody. Don't want to, don't want to mess up the status quo. So they had to become invasive. They had to remove obstructions. They had to dig this roof off. I mean, they dug into it. They removed this obstruction out of the way. They, they had to interrupt. Um, the, I mean, Jesus is teaching, and I don't know what he's teaching. I, I don't know what teaching he was talking about. Maybe, 
Maybe he was about to tell everybody um, uh, what kind of bodies we have in heaven. I mean, you know that thing we've always asked, what are we going to be like in heaven? What kind of bodies are we going to have? He was just about like, and I tell you this, you will have a body, and then all of a sudden the roof comes off, Jesus of Nazareth. It's like, oh, man, if you could have just shut up for just a few minutes, we we're about to find out what kind of bodies we're going to have in heaven. But they had to be willing to interrupt. Because being willing to interrupt, that's, that's an obstruction. They, they had to ignore complaints. They, um, and then most importantly, the scripture tells us they had to aim for Jesus. Okay, so it wasn't like they were just arbitrarily pulling up tiles. Somebody must have gone up with vision. It's like, what we want to do? It's like, where is he? He's over here. Okay, all right, pull that one up. And so they, because if you drop it on here, this is Peter and his wife. And if you drop it over here, this is Billy and, and Charlotte over here. And, 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 but it's like, well, where? So they go over there and like, we want, we're not going to be satisfied with just being in the room. We're not going to be satisfied with just going to church. Um, we want to land right in front of Jesus. So they, they had to aim. See, I know they had vision. I know they had vision in their lives. Maybe it's not a vision like, you know, Tony Robbins is going to tell you to have a vision, you know, and you're, you know, all that other stuff. But they had to have something going on inside of them with an expectation, with this enough knowledge about Jesus and enough determination that they were going to get this done. And the reason why I know they have vision, even though I don't even, I don't even hear it yet, but I know they have vision is because without a vision, a person can be stopped by putting up just one single obstacle. Somebody without vision, oh, they're easy. You know, I mean, you just put your hand up. You just tell them no. You just put, and they're like, they dissolve. It's like when you don't have vision, you're so stoppable. But these people were not stoppable. So that tells me there's something brewing inside of them. See, without a vision, life becomes hopeless, misdirected, becomes chaotic. You become a house divided in yourself. You, you have no forward momentum. You, you lack enthusiasm. And I know it's like, well, Enthusiasm, What's that? what kind of biblical word is that? Well, I'm borrowing it from the Greek because it's enthusiast or in uh, theos. means Enthusiasm means to have the spirit of God in you. You know, and, and for, for when you lack vision, you lack enthusiasm. You, you, you don't have that movable power and, and, uh, of the spirit of God in your life. Life becomes a sequence of disappointments, frustrations, tragedies. You become, a one philosopher said, like a leaf blowing in the wind. And that's not what we're called to. You're called to flourish with the love of God, with the truth of God, no matter what circumstance you're in. No matter what circumstance you're in. And maybe today you're in that part of it of the lifting and persevering part of it. Maybe today you're in the part of it like, hey, I gotta get to Jesus part. Maybe we're all in different phases of this, store, this demonstration. Maybe we're in different places of it, but, but we all have got to be moving with vision. 
with belief. You can always measure the amount of vision or real belief someone has by the size of the obstacle that can stop them. Just think about that. You can pretty much determine how much vision or how much belief a person has by the size of the object that has the ability to stop them. There was this guy back in like 300 AD, his name was Archimedes. And Archimedes was um, asked by the king of Syracuse to figure out how much gold was in his crown. And so he took it and he put it in like a, a little bath of water and he watched the displacement of the water, how much the water rose in the bathtub, like, you know, when you take a bathtub, you fill it up, and then you get in it, and it kind of rises a little bit. He noticed the displacement, and then was able to determine how much gold was in it, and the weight, and all the other stuff. It's really interesting that sometimes you don't know how much faith you really have, or don't have. You really don't know if you have vision, or don't have vision, until something displaces it, and then you find out. All of a sudden, it gets submersed into difficulty or hardship. You don't really know how good your marriage is that, until you have an argument. These couples, I love them. They're so cute, aren't they? Me and my boyfriend, we've never fought before. We don't fight. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, give it another, another seven years, sister. You're going to, I mean, if you have a real relationship and you haven't fought yet, you don't have a real relationship. At least we don't know if you do. Because it's when you are immersed into hardship and difficulty and conflict and sickness and all the other things that we experience as humans, as humans there's, that's when the displacement occurs and you find out how hard things are. It wasn't until I injured my back and three years ago, almost four years ago now, that, and, and then the horror that I experienced, the emotional horror and depression and pain that I experienced and wanting to die, I didn't even know I lacked that much faith. I couldn't believe how much I didn't believe. It was unbelievable. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I really, I, I, it was kind of like, oh my gosh. You know, Paul says this crazy statement. He says, when I am weak, he is strong. And I've always, it's no longer I who lives, but now Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave his life for me. I could quote that all day long, but I tell you what, when all of a sudden your life, your crown gets dropped into a bath of difficulty and you begin to see how much you displace, you'll be shocked. All of a sudden, I'm like Job's wife who gave him the advice, you might as well just curse God and die. Now, I love it. God didn't leave me there. But, you know, sometimes you find out how much you really believe, the, the, the size, the force of it, when you experience an obstacle. We all face them. Looking at this story, we, we all face the temptation to quit. It's, like, it's just too hard. Um, we, we're afraid of the crowd. We're afraid of how so-and-so is going to respond, what people are going to say. We don't want to look weird among people. You know, it's kind of like, and that's a problem for me, is that I just don't want to look weird. I hate looking weird. I mean, it's my biggest thing. It's like, dude, you look weird every Sunday. 
Somebody tell this man. You know, it's like, you got weird all over you. But it, but it is, it's kind of like, I can be all of a sudden stopped if you're gonna tell me everybody's gonna think they're not gonna like me, or you're gonna be weird. Or a lot of us will, will stop because there's not enough room in our lives for God. I don't have enough room, I don't have enough time. I'm telling you, I know doctors, I know surgeons, I know lawyers, I know politicians, I know um, guys who, and gals who run their own businesses, who are cutting hair day and night, who are plumbing day and night, teachers who are teaching like crazy. I know all that, and I have not found a person yet, moms and dads who are taking care of their children, homeschooling the, the wazoo out of them. And I have yet to find somebody who does not have time or does not have room for God. I love those people that fantasy football starts up, you know, and you say, hey, dude, we're having a fantasy football league. You want to join? Dude, I'm too busy. I'm like, you're a loser. I mean, it's like, if you're too busy, I mean, I don't want to tell you where you do fantasy football, but I will tell you, there are, there are like three times a day you go to this location and you get to sit and review your fantasy football team. Everybody gets those opportunities. And so for to say that you don't have time, I know some of you are like, oh, that's so gross. I can't believe he just talked about, about that. But seriously, we will say we don't have enough room for God or we don't have enough time for God or it's too hard or you don't want to mess things up. If you get too crazy about Jesus, your boyfriend will leave you. That's, a, that's, that's an obstacle. You're right. He may leave you. Maybe you, um, uh, you may be using this. If God wants it to happen, it'll happen. Okay? You know, that's mythology. I mean, really is. It's kind of like, well, if God wants it to happen, what we're seeing in this story, this guy is not getting healed if, I'm going to say this out loud, don't quote me out of context. This guy, God's not just going to heal this guy, okay? If this guy stays at home, he's not getting healed. He'll just live out the rest of his life. It's not like Jesus is walking around like Benny Hinn. I can't believe I said his name out loud, but I'm not ashamed I did. Waving his hand and the whole crowd falls under the Holy Ghost. Folks, that's just made up, okay? That's just made up crazy stuff. It's all about God calling us to take the next step of vision and action to know him more. This guy does not get healed if he gets left at home. It's not like, well, God wouldn't have, if God wanted it to happen, it would have happened. No, it wouldn't have happened. It would not have happened if this man and these four gentlemen with him did not orchestrate this vision to get in front of Jesus. There are things that are blocking my way. Um, things that need to maybe get removed, like, my past, my past gets in my way more than anything else. For me, it's my past. It always begins to kind of get in my way. Um, my uh, habits, my lifestyle choices, they can, they can all get in my way. Or maybe this, maybe you got all that worked out and you got, you got perseverance, you got, you got belief, you got, you, you're not afraid of the crowd and, and, and you're also like, no problem, you can move obstructions out of your life, but you're aiming for something other than Jesus. You're, you're aiming for, oh, I want a new job. I show up, 
for God, you know, to help me find a boyfriend or a girlfriend or to fix my body or whatever it is. That's what I'm showing up for. But they're, they're aiming for Jesus. So let me ask you, what are you aiming for? What are you putting your body of life in front of? Every one of us will do it. We'll, we'll roll the dice. And the older you get, you're realizing it's like, yeah, you're, you're banking on something working, some sort of scheme. You know, and I don't mean that in a negative sense, but you're, you're taking the body of your life and you're going to take it and you're going to place it in front of something. I don't, I don't know if it's the Republican Party or it's a, per, a person or an investment or the purchase of a certain house or a job or a career choice. And you're like, you know, and you're like, okay, I, I hope it works out. Who are you, who are you setting your life in front of? Because every one of us are setting our lives in front of somebody or in, in front of something, hoping it will have some effect. So you can take, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, and, and you can take these questions and you can directly relate them to your relationship with Jesus. About like, okay, these questions could focus right on that. But you may also be here, and that's not what God's talking to you about. He's talking to you about your marriage, or maybe how you're dealing with your children, or maybe your struggle with porn, or um, maybe dealing with your, your racism. Um, it, it, it may be how you're dealing with your forgiveness, your bitterness, or, or things like that. So let me ask you a couple questions. Um, how much pushback does it take before you bail? Like on your spouse. You know, you'll try to like make him a cup of coffee in the morning, you give him a cup of coffee, but he didn't say thank you. And then you're like, well, screw him. I tried, Pastor. I'm like, well, how'd you try? Well, I made him coffee this morning. I brought it to him, and he didn't say anything nice to me. It's like, oh, okay. That's all it took. Just one little, little bit of pushback, and you're bailed, and you're, and you're gone. No, but seriously, think about it. Um, how about when you ask, you tell somebody you forgive them, and you say, hey, I just want to let you know I forgive you for what you did. And then you're like, kind of like perking your ear up for them to say, I am so sorry. What if they don't say that? You know, what if they don't say, I love you too? I love it in Star Wars. Um, it's, it's just the most perfect scene. You know where I'm going if you're a Star, War, Star Wars person. Uh, Han Solo, he's about to be shoved into carbonite. He's going to be frozen. As he's going down into the chamber, the Princess Leia says to him, Han, I love you. You know, and he just says, I know. Just what every woman wants here. I just want to let you know, though, in the Re Return of the Jedi, in the, there's another scene, and this is good, I, in case you didn't know this, but they're attacking the, the little Ewok people, and they're attacking this outpost on Alderaan or someplace. What, what, what Endor? Yeah, 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 Endor. They're on, uh, they're on Endor, and they, uh, <laughs> um, uh, he tells Princess Leia, because she has a gun hidden, and he says, oh, I love you. And she looks at him and says, I know. <laughs> how, how much does it take you uh, before you just like, I'm not trying any longer? Let me ask you this. How much disappointment does it take for you to walk away? How much disappointment does it take? Especially with God. Because there's a lot of disappointment. Not, 
I'm not saying God's disappointed. I'm just saying life in general has a lot of disappointments. How, how long before you, you walk away? How much disappointment? What lifestyle structures in your life need to be tore up and removed? Maybe you're at the place where you've got some serious structures in your life. Friendships, a network, a thatch, a tile system of friendships that God's like, listen, I want you to be closer to me and you, you want to be close to me, but you're going to have to deconstruct some of that. Or, or, or maybe some addictions in your life. And it's like, you need to cancel that subscription. You need to stop hanging out at that location. You need to, you know, uh, or, or maybe, maybe it's a living. Maybe you got a girlfriend or a boyfriend and God's like, listen, you know, I love you. I love you both, but you know what? I, you know, are you aiming for me? If you're aiming for me, Maybe there's something that needs to be deconstructed here. Or maybe it's belief systems. Maybe you have a belief system that's a little bit of, you know, and we're real good at this today. All you have to do is have Instagram, and you got a little Zen Buddhism in you and Taoism in you and a little bit of Tony Robbins in you, and then you got a little bit of Jesus in you, and then you got a little bit of feminism in you, and a little bit of woke in you, and you got a little bit of Republic Donald Trump in you, and you got a little bit of this in you, and, and we kind of put it all together, and we're like, that's what I believe. And it's like, you know, maybe you need to deconstruct some of that stuff. To experience flourishing in our lives, we need to be, we need to have more than, than just this phrase, have faith. We need to have buy-in. We need to have belief times action. Belief times action. I got this from Deanna. She was trying to explain to me about speed and velocity and mass, and, and I was kind of like getting it. And then when I saw this story, then I got the physics of the story. Because what we have is we have belief in action. In the, the science of physics, there is a word for the combination of something in motion. And it's the word momentum. Momentum is strength or force gained by motion or by a series of events. Or put it this way, it is the quality of motion of a moving body measured by velocity times mass. You develop this thing called momentum. And it's like, well, what do you, I still don't get it. It's this. Somebody's riding a bicycle, and you step out onto the sidewalk, and they're riding their bicycle on the sidewalk, which is illegal in the city of Charleston. But let's say they're riding it on the sidewalk, and all of a sudden, at 10 miles an hour, they hit you with their bicycle, and you're like, boom. And, you know, and it's like, wow, that was an object moving at 10 miles an hour, and it hit me. Then you decide you're going to go stand on the train tracks, and a train is coming at you at 10 miles an hour. How many of us know that the outcome of being hit by a train will be at 10 miles an hour is different than being hit by a bicycle at 10 miles an hour? It all has all to do with this, with the mass of the object and the velocity of the object. And what we're seeing in this story is not just a belief system, a creed. This is what I believe. This is my systematic theology. This is my understanding of the Greek language. This, you know, this is what I believe about the end times. No, what we're seeing here is a mass of belief times velocity, action. This is why the apostle James 
says something that's confused so many people, but it makes perfect sense from the standpoint of physics. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, without the enthusiasm, so also faith without works is dead. Faith is just mass. That's all it is. It's just mass. You believe something. I believe in God. Yeah, okay, cool. I mean, like, you're just, you can be just a dumb object. You really can. You can just be, you can have the faith, and it's just an object. It's a, it's a, a mass of things, but it's got no velocity to it at all. And I, I think for some of us, we need to realize that um, we've got this massive belief system but we have no velocity. It's like, if you ask most people in America, 85% of America is probably lower now. If you ask them, do you believe in God? It's crazy, most Americans subscribe to the idea of there being a, this God being. It's like, well then why are we so screwed up if we all believe in God? It's just, it's just a thing. It has no velocity in most people's lives. It, has, it doesn't have... It doesn't produce momentum in their lives. So a lot of us have a massive belief system, but we have no velocity. Then there are some of us that have a lot of velocity. We're doing a lot of stuff, but we have no substance. We have no mass. You know, we don't, we don't have core beliefs. What are, you know, we, we do a lot of things, but we just don't really believe in anything. So what are we to do? What did they do in this demonstration? I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses, I would like to supply, change that, but I can't. But since we have a great cloud of demonstrations surrounding us, okay, since we have had it displayed, enumerated, that what God does with people's lives, what he can do in a person's life. The writer goes on and says, therefore, since we have a mass, a belief system, a body of belief, he doesn't say, oh, you got that? Cool, you're good. All you gotta do is believe in something. It's like, no. He said, since we've got this mass of belief, lay aside every encumbrance and sin that so easily entangles you. You lay it aside. You lay it aside. Well, if God wants it done, God will do it. The old door, it's like if God closes the door, he opens another one or he opens a window. Okay, that's just made up stupid crap. Okay? What if a door's closed and God's telling you, you need to kick it down. You need to kick that stinking door down. That's what they did in this story. All the doors were closed. They go up on the roof. It's like, what are we going to do now? Let's tear up the roof. You know this one rowdy guy in the group, one out of four, you know the, the one guy who drinks too much or gets in a fight in a bar? There's one dude, they're like, when they're like throwing out, what do we do now? Dude, we're going to tear up the roof. And he's just ripping that thing up. But we, we buy into this idea, well, if God wants it to change, it's going to change. It's like, no, you lay aside. You dismantle that roof of bad belief system in your life. That bitterness that you have towards your parents or you have towards your spouse, you gotta dismantle that thing. 
He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It means start some velocity in your life. How are you pursuing Jesus? You know, are you you striving to know him more? Are you running after him? Are you doing it with endurance? Or are you just so easily stopped whenever anything slows you down? Do you have this idea, and I've had it, that Christianity shouldn't be so hard, you know, because it was sold to us as just come to Jesus. All you got to do is just come to Jesus, and he'll take care of everything else. I, I, I know I, I really feel like a heretic even saying this stuff out loud, so I could be wrong, but I think that's bull too. I, I think he calls us to lay stuff aside. I think he calls us to to race. This guy, let me say it again. This guy was not going to get healed unless his faith developed some velocity. There are some things about our lives that are just not going to get better if we are sitting there, well, if God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. What do you what do you set in your life in front of? What are you focusing on? See, this is a this is a story about vision. Your spiritual momentum is the force of your faith in action. So let me ask you, what happened? What happened to it? Where what stopped it? What what kept you from moving forward or is keeping you from moving forward? Are you willing to remove obstacles to get back into it? Because Jesus is still there. I mean, Jesus hasn't gone to... I I mean, Scripture says, I know the plans that I have for you. I want to give you hope. I don't want to hurt you. That's still hanging in the air. Those words are still alive today. I, I mean, no weapon formed against you will prosper. He who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete. Those words are still hanging there. The question is, what has stopped us? Is it disappointment? Is it depression? Have we lost vision? I, I know this is going to sound, um, I, I, have, uh, I have taken antidepressants. And it's like as a pastor, you kind of, I just dropped a notch in, in somebody's hierarchy. I've taken antidepressants before. When I hurt my back and my back pain, and they told me we can't fix you, and this is the way it's going to be, you'll never ride a mountain bike again, you'll never load a boat onto a trailer down at the Limehouse Bridge, you'll need to get somebody else to mow you along. When they told me all that other stuff, I'll tell you what, I was just like, just go ahead and kill me. Because, you know, what am I without sports? What am I without mowing my own lawn? I mean, my wife would go out and mow the lawn, and I was like, okay, God, just... Nothing wrong against women, but it's just not my paradigm, okay? I mean, it's like there's got to be something I do, you know, for, to express my worth. And all that just got stripped away. And I'm like, Doc, you got to give me something because I don't want to live. You know what God made me realize? And, and if you're on an antidepressant, stay on it unless your doctor tells you otherwise. Because there are some times when you got chemical imbalances and you got a lot of crap coming at you where... By the graces of God, we've understood some things about our, our human brains and all that. Well, you got to stay on it. But I'm going to, if I could just challenge you a little bit, 
there was a point when I had to put them aside because I, it wasn't my back anymore. It was just that I lacked vision. And they, ma they, they made me feel better about not having a purpose to my life. So let me ask you to consider, are you really depressed? Do you really have something wrong with you? Or is it possible that you don't feel like life is worth living because you just can't see past the roof? You don't have, a, you, you, it's blocking the way. And I know, I know you folks. Some of you have got some real crap, some real hardships. Some of you are incredible pain. Some of you have got illnesses that you're fighting. Some of you are married to some really stupid people. Some of you are, I mean, some, I mean I, seriously, some of you have bad jobs and are living in bad conditions and don't have enough money. I mean, we all have obstacles. The question is, is it enough to stop us pursuing God? Are you willing to buy in? I love how the story ends. It says, and the man got up and immediately he picked up his pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Just think about it. He enters the room one way and he leaves the room a different way. He enters the room, a man with one particular issue and walks out a different man. He comes in on one path and he walks out a new path. All because he aimed for Jesus. Because he's willing to deconstruct some obstacles in his life. Stop viewing obstacles as signs of something that is not worth doing. Sometimes we do that. Oh, it's too hard to do it. You know, like fixing up your house, you'll start working on something. Or like, like with me, I'll be like trying to fix something and the bolt's frozen. And I can't get the bolt off. I, yeah, I was doing this the other day. I couldn't get the bolt off. I wanted to put new pedals on my Peloton bike so I could, you know, work out a little bit better. And I, and I couldn't get the old pedals off because they weren't good enough. And so I was like, uh, so I couldn't get them off. And I worked it and I worked it and worked it. And, and I, just, I just threw the wrench and I'm like, these aren't that bad after all. You know, I can live with this. Don't accept obstacles as something that's not worth doing. Stop supposing um, that if it's supposed to get God, uh, get done, that God's going to do it for you. Stop supposing that if it's hard, if it's obstructing you, that um, it must not be God. Somebody said to me the other day a statement. They said, well, I, I tried this, and, I, and you know, after all, if it's of God, it'll work. And I'm like, I believe I've tried a lot of things that were of God that didn't work. You know, I think I did. I mean, it's like, so we think, well, if, if it didn't work, then it must not have been God. No, you need to kick something down. You need to tear something up. We let so many little things stop us. Obstacles may block your path, 
And I know that so many of you have some real legitimate, not to be belittled obstacles in your life. But what I can say to you is that's not a reason to quit on God. And don't quit on you. Don't quit on you. I know it's, it's hard being you. And I know you're waiting for something to change in this situation. And God's like, listen, don't give up. Don't quit on yourself. Don't quit on, don't quit on me. And if I could just for a second speak to you if you're over the age of 60. One of the things I've been surprised about being over 60, it's kind of like what I experienced with a hurt back, is the, uh, the urge to want to quit. Because it just seems like it's a cascade of doctor appointments. Your prostate, your colon, your gut, your arthritis, your celiac, whatever that is. Your, you know what? The kids move away and they live their lives. The grandkids get old and they can't visit anymore because they got to work at Chick-fil-A. You know, and all of a sudden, there you are with your wife and you're just kind of like helping each other up to the door, you know? And it's just kind of like, all right, mama, we're going to, I'm telling you, I see it coming. I'm just, I'm almost there. But you know, in the middle of that, you know what happens is worse? Is that you give up on God. The divorce rate among people my age and older is skyrocketing. We're beginning to pass younger people. There are people who have 30, 35, 40 year marriages are getting divorced because at the end of their lives, when all the kids are gone and all the grandkids aren't visiting, all of a sudden you're like looking at each other and you're like, what, what contest in hell did I win? You know? So I want to let you know, this isn't just a message for the young. It's for the broken, it's for the sick, it's for the lonely. Don't give up. Run the race that is set before you. Throw aside every weight and every hindrance, every sin, everything that slows you down. Fixing your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith because he who began a good work in, it, in you is faithful to complete it. It doesn't happen for everybody because some people decide not to get up and aim for Jesus. It happens for those who are walking according to his purposes. So let me encourage you, no matter where you are, and some of you, are, I mean it with all my heart, some of you are heroic. I know what you're working through and how difficult it is to work through it. And God just wanna let you know, you will not be disappointed for dismantling the, the obstructions of your life. You will not be disappointed for persevering. Father, I thank you so much for your love and your commitment to us. And you didn't love us just to love us. You loved us so we could live. So Father, here, for some of us, we have no mass. We, we got a lot of velocity. We can get things done, but we've got no belief. For some of us, God, we've got a massive, archaic belief system that our grandparents gave us, and then our dads and moms gave it to us. 
They made us go to church. And, and here we are today, we're believers, but we're not livers. We're not living. We've got mass, but we don't have momentum. So Father God, today we ask through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would provide the kinetic energy, the force of life, the enthusiasm, the Spirit of God in us to move us forward. Show us how to dismantle the obstacles. Reveal to us what's in our ways. Help us to aim for Jesus. You have not given up on us. And today we don't either. We thank you.